0: Hello and welcome to Radio Eka. Eka is a yoga and meditation app from India. And through this podcast, we will explore the various dimensions of the body and the mind and delve deeper into understanding the true essence of yoga. The website is www.ekameditation.com. The upcoming series the Origins of Yoga is written and narrated by Swami Hamsa Yanananda Saraswati. The Birth of Yoga Yoga in the Prehistoric and Vedic Times Our story begins in the Bronze Age with the Indus Valley Civilization, also known as the Harappan Civilization, 3300. To 1300 BCE, located in what is now the area of Pakistan, northeastern Afghanistan, and northwest India. This ancient and sophisticated civilization had at one time been the equal of Egypt and Mesopotamia. Sadly, we know next to nothing about them, even though there are tantalizing hints. That some important aspects of Indian religion may have derived from this civilization, archaeologists have found figurines depicting what may they be believe to be the mother goddess. There are hundreds of small clay seals, and the most famous of which depicts a sitting figure surrounded by animals in what some believe looks like a yogic asana or seated posture. Some have even suggested that this is an early version of the god Shiva, who represents consciousness in classical Hinduism. Shiva is the lord of animals and is also a great yogi. However, as Samuel in 2008 has recovered in his research, this seal can and has been interpreted in lots of different ways. And in the absence of any hard evidence, we cannot prove continuity. Therefore, intriguing as this lost civilization is, we cannot start our search for the origins of yoga here. Our story moves next to the Aryans, semi nomadic pastoralists, who, according to many historians, have lived on the steppes of what is now southern Russia since about 4000. Five hundred b c e but who eventually migrated into Europe and Asia because they spoke a language that would form the basis of many Asiatic and European tongues. They also often go by the name of Indo-Europeans. There has been much debate about Aryan settlement of India, some including yoga scholars such as david frawley Subhashkar and George Fenstein, 1995, even deny that it took place, arguing that it was the indigenous people of India who were solely responsible for Vedic religion and culture. It is not the place to go deeply into this heated debate. But for an excellent, unbiased and clear-headed summary of both sides, and the best source I have found is Bryant, 2001 my own feeling is that there is probably truth in both accounts and that there were migrations but that the religion and culture of the Aryans fused and blended with that of the indigenous population, no doubt leading to the incredible variety and richness of what was now to eventually become Hinduism. The truth is there is little archaeological record of this early period of India. Our first real sources of information are the ritual, texts composed in Sanskrit known collectively as the Vedas or knowledge as it's translated. Around 1500 to 1200 BCE, the earliest hymns of the Rig Veda were composed through revolutionist scholars such as Foley and Forenstein I've debated this back much further to 4000 BCE or even earlier. And when completed, these would consist of 1028 hymns divided into 10 books, the most prestigious portion of the Vedic scriptures. This, however, was just one part of the vast corpus of literature, which included anthologies of songs, mantras, instructions, for recitation these texts and poems had all been inspired that is they were shruti or that which is heard revealed to the great seers rishis and ascetics of antiquity they were absolutely authoritative unmarked by human redaction divine and eternal originally the hymns were learnt by heart and transmitted orally from generation to generation. And the Rig Veda was not committed to writing until the second millennium of the Common Era. The hymns of the Rig Veda did not tell coherent stories about the gods or give clear descriptions of the sacrificial rituals, but alluded, in a veiled, riddling fashion, to myths and legends that were already familiar to the community the truth that they were trying to express could not be conveyed in neat logical discourse the poet was a rishi a seer he had not invented these hymns they had declared themselves to him in visions and learnings that seemed to come from another world or indeed from the very land beneath him The Rishi could see truths and make connections that were not apparent to ordinary people, as does the Shaman in other parts of the world. And the beauty of this inspired poetry shocked his audience into a state of awe, wonder, fear and delight that they were felt directly touched by the divine power within the words. The sacred knowledge of the Vedas did not simply come from the semantic meaning of the words, but from their sound and their tonal quality, which was itself a deva, or god. That which comes out of silence. The rishis learned to hold themselves in a state of constant readiness to receive inspired words that seemed to come from outside but were also experienced as an inner voice. They may already have begun to develop techniques of concentration that enabled them to penetrate the subconscious. They discovered that if they got rid of their usual distracting preoccupations of the external world, the doors of the mind may be opened, as the Rig Veda put it, and in this way the Rishi had laid the foundations of what we now know as yoga. During the late Vedic period, the idea of Brahman, the supreme reality, began to emerge. Brahman was not a deva, but the power that was higher, deeper and more basic than all the other gods. A force that held all the desperate elements and different parts of the universe together and stopped them from fragmenting. Brahman was the fundamental principle that enabled all things to become strong and to expand. It was life itself. Brahman could never be defined or described because it was all-encompassing and human beings could not get outside and see it objectively. But it could be experienced in ritual. A ritual often ended with a brahmodia competition to find a verbal formula that expressed the mysterious elements of the Brahman. The challenger asked a difficult and enigmatic question and his opponent answered in an equally elusive manner. The match continued until one of the contestants was unable to respond. Reduced to silence, he was forced to withdraw. Brahman was thus experienced in silence. For a few sacred moments, the competitors felt one with the mysterious force that held the whole of life together, and the winner could say that he was the Brahman. There is a passage from the Rig Veda, which is very much a Brahmodia. The Rishi asks one unfathomable question after another, until both he and the audience are reduced to silence of the unknowing. By the late Vedic period, about 1000 BCE, the Brahmin priestly class had risen to a new prominence. Their work was presented to the Brahmania, somewhat dry and technical ritual texts, which do, however, suggest these reformers are motivated by the desire to eliminate violence From the old sacrificial rituals. By the time the Aryan life was become more settled, the economy was beginning to depend more upon agricultural produce than raiding. At first sight, the Brahmanas might not seem particularly yogic, obsessed as they are with liturgy minutiae. How could these stultifying discussions of the type of ladle that should be used for a particular oblation or how many steps a priest could take when he carried a firepot to the altar have inspired a spiritual and religious revolution yet the brahmins were making a courageous attempt to find a new source of meaning and value in the changing world the ritualists wanted a liturgy that would not conflict harm or injury on any of its participants the climax of the old sacrifices had been the dramatic depreciation of the animal victim which we reenact indra's slaying of vitra now in the reformed ritual the victim was just suffocated in as painlessly as possible in a shed outside the sacrificial arena you do not die nor do you come to harm the ritualists assured the beast the gods go to you along the paths. The reform ritual also banned any hint of aggression towards human beings or animals. There were to be no more competitions, chariot races, mock battles or raids. These were all systematically expunged from the rites and replaced by anodyne chants and symbolic gestures. Already then, at this early date, the ritualists were moving towards the idea of ahimsa, harmlessness, that would become the indispensable virtue of the Indian spiritual traditions.